of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have a very special guest with me today, here to speak with me about Matthew 25, 31 through 40, as well as the Church of Scientology, is Frank. Welcome, Frank. Hi, howdy doodle. Uh, you know, I'm just so glad to have you on. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to talk both about uh, Scientology uh, and the Bible <laughs> both sound, you know, uh, equally, equally, uh, well, actually not good, but equally interesting things, I think. Yeah. And I think these, this is an interesting kind of combination of topics to, uh, to discuss. I don't, I don't know that there's any real connection between the passage that we are, um, that we discussed or that we decided on and, and the other topic that we wanted to discuss, but, uh, it is something that you know uh, a fair bit about, and and I think that it's something that a, a good chunk of my listeners probably know next to nothing about. Um, I personally will admit to being fairly ignorant on the subject, um, only really understanding what I see or or you know knowing what I've known from mass uh, media and from uh, sort of these scare stories that I've heard about the church. Um, some of which have some veracity, and some of which seem to be a little bit. Um, you know, maybe exaggerated, and uh, and and there's all these kinds of interesting connections between uh, churches like the Church of Scientology and and smaller Christian factions and uh, pseudo Christian factions like LDS uh, and and things like that. So I'm just I'm really stoked to get into it. So wh- why don't we just um, why don't we just go uh, and why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself and and how faith has played a part in your life. Um, so I grew up as a third generation Scientologist, actually. We're pretty rare, I feel like. Um, I'm a little different, I think, than other Scientologists that grew up in the church in that uh, my mom had the, fortunately, I'm so grateful for this, honestly, I'm endlessly grateful for the fact that my mom never really took me to what what you call like the the center, the Scientology center, where you actually go to like quote unquote practice Scientology, which we can get into later. It's not really like going to church or anything. It's not like getting a service. Uh, it's called the org. My mom never really took me to the org. And so because of that, they don't actually have any of my personal information. Okay. Um, that becomes really important because they chase you down. Uh, my mom left Scientology... I want to say oh a good a good long while ago. I don't want to give a specific date because literally they're that good at tracking like I have to be really that careful. Um but my mom left a good long while ago, actually moved to a different country and got married to have her name changed and they still wow. managed to find our address and will send people to sit in front of our house uh to harass us basically to go back to the org. Um, because my mom isn't technically what's called, it's called being declared. 
you become declared a suppressive person if you speak out against the church. Uh, and that also makes you fair game. When you fair game somebody in the church, it means that you can do anything to that person. You can harass them. You can beat them. Uh, you can like, you know, anything you do within the church, like count, like you're not going to get any bad boy points. You're not going to, which like, I mean, wow. there's no hell in Scientology, but it like, you're not a bad person. And you're not going to yeah. have any bad shit happen if you, you know, do something shitty to a fair gamed person. So that's kind of like the whole thing is we're in this weird in between area where we're not declared. But like my mom hasn't been back to the hasn't been back to the organ many, many years. Mm -hmm. And both of her parents are deeply involved wow. with Scientology okay. up to the point where, well, one of my grandparents is a little bit like her faith is definitely really shaken. I don't know if she'd even consider herself fully a Scientologist. I think she still believes in it. But my other uh, grandparent, uh, he's like through and through, goes to flag every year. Flag is like basically like the Scientologist Vatican. It's in Florida. <laughs> like wow. It's literally a whole city um, that Far they've out. basically completely bought uh, and own. Uh, and he goes every year to do different Scientology things. He also has been on, they have a, they own a cruise ship called the free winds that you go on to do, I think OT eight, which we'll totally get into like what the goal of Scientology is and everything. Yeah. But he's, he's like beyond OT eight. I think he's gone through all of the OTs multiple times. So that's, and so I didn't ever go to the org, but mm -hmm. I was very much like, I guess you could consider me at the time. I'm no longer a practicing Scientologist. I no longer believe in anything Scientology has to ha say, except for maybe uh, they say some good things about looking words up in dictionaries that I agree with. Wow. <laughs> okay. That, um, okay. Okay. Um, beyond that, uh, I probably would have been as a child considered, it's kind of a slur among Scientologists. I would have been called a squirrel, which is a, pra a Scientologist that practices separate of the church. Oh, Wow. Yeah, so okay. tech, so so any Scientologists, if you happen to stumble on this, uh, I've never been to the org, I've never done any courses, I haven't done the communications course, I haven't done the purification rundown, I haven't done any of that shit. I just know about it, and I was audited very heavily as a child by wow. my grandmother. That is super interesting. Um, so first question, before we go into the details of, of the practice, um, the org is that a, a shorthand word for organization? Is that is that like yeah. a okay? So, yeah. um, your uh, your family being kind of splintered by this is that a common um, is that a common thing that happens in the church when when you know one generation kind of falls away from from the you know following the church and then others stay with it. As far as I can tell, yeah, my family is actually, um, I'm still in contact with my grandparents and my mom and I are actually the main caretakers of them, which is part of why it's so important for me to remain so anonymous and for me not to be declared a suppressive person. Sure. Um, because if I'm declared, what happens is my grandparents would completely cut off communication with us. We would never be allowed to speak to them again and all of their inheritance would go to the church, which probably it actually might already be going to the church. Um, and they're like in their nineties. So, you know, if I, if I'm not, if it kind of becomes confusing following my story, it might be because I'm faking some of my information. Uh, literally all of this is done in order to avoid being declared because I want to make sure that I can take care of my fucking grandparents, you know, sure. like I, I, I don't want them to, you know, have to deal with old age by themselves because I care about them very much and I love them very much, mm. which is another thing I, I want to get into eventually is the, 
the rejection of the material universe and how that affects your relationships in Scientology as well. Yeah, I think um, I think that uh, the first place to go for me um, before we get into the the larger subjects, I think, would be discussing a little bit about being that this is a Bible podcast, uh, a little bit about the the literature of Scientology. I, I I used scripture in a conversation that we had earlier, and scripture's not really the right word, right? It, they, there isn't a Bible in Scientology. There is a set of texts written by a particular person. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, so in Scientology, I guess the closest thing to like the quote unquote Bible, but also like not really, it, it doesn't have a lot of, it gets a little complicated. I found because I, I consume a lot of ex-Scientologist media, actually, I'm absolutely fascinated by Scientology and by kind of the effects that it has on people and cults in general. It's become a really interesting, it's been something that I've just been looking into a lot because I'm noticing a lot of patterns within my own life that match others, you know, and how it's kind of affected me as a person. And then it's interesting to kind of trace the history back to like, well, where did all of this come from? Basically, there are a lot of uh, podcasts that feature like uh, ex-LDS people and ex-Jehovah's Witnesses who will talk to Scientologists because there's a lot of similarity in the way that it functions like on a on kind of a material level or like on a level in, in which it's like, you know, like you're giving so much money to the church. You're not talking to people like the way it functions the same way, but there's not really an easy like way to be like, yeah, this is like the Bible of Scientology. This is like the way that the Scientology church service works. This is like the afterlife in Scientology. It doesn't it doesn't really neatly enmesh mm -hmm. with Abrahamic religion. Yeah. So just just so you know, it might be kind of hard to compare the two, sure, at least sure. belief wise. But so in Scientology, like the I guess the most popular form of like scripture would be Dianetics. Which okay. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's the book Elron Yeah. That's the book L. Ron Hubbard wrote, and it was kind of his own take on uh, psychology, I guess. Um, and he published it, and he got completely made fun of by, like, actual psychologists in the fucking 50s, which is, you know, pretty intense if psychologists in the 50s think your work is bunk. <laughs> um, so he, he made Dianetics, he got made fun of, and then from there he kind of turned it into a religion. He said, you know, I experienced all this trauma as the captain of a ship in war, he was, he was in the Navy. Um, but it turns out he, I don't think he ever actually saw active combat, which, uh, is something that you're actually taught in Scientology that he saw active combat and then used Dianetics to cure the, the trauma that he had had. Oh. Uh, so Dianetics is the main thing. And so in Scientology, you're trying to complete what is called the bridge to total freedom. So when you first, <laughs> I know it's really funny. I no, thank you. I mean, no, honestly, keep, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't uh, worry about me. I'm, I'm probably making faces right now. Cause again, uh, like I'll admit, oh, I, no, no, I no. didn't know a lot about this. I just, this is so fascinating to me. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I, that's, that's why I'm saying it's just, I, 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 it makes me happy to see you like kind of reacting to it because it's just one of those things that's like, you know, at most any, that anybody learns about Scientology is like the South Park episode. That's like what anybody knows is the South Park episode, which is like, okay, I appreciate the South Park episode because I think it honestly has led to like the current downfall of Scientology that like is Scientology is experiencing a pretty big downfall. It's not losing members, but it's not really gaining members. Well, it is losing members, but it's not like gaining them fast enough to replace them, which is sure. what they were originally. 
Um, and I think it's the South Park episode. Everybody is like, oh, South Park. Oh, fucking uh, Tom Cruise. Like, I'm not going to fuck with that. Leah Remini. I'm not going to, you know, like, so I really, I really appreciate the South Park episode. But it is not at all an accurate interpretation of what everyday Scientologists actually believe. In okay. fact, what is depicted in the South Park episode is something that you learn after. I know Scientologists that practiced for 30 years and never even got to that. That's, oh, wow. That's, that's a confidential thing. Like, my grandfather has reached it, but he's been in Scientology since, like, the fucking 60s. So they went they went like real deep into the lore of of the of of the religion, you know, for lack of a better word, religion. Right. Yeah. And and uh, and they got like they went way too far in basically to 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 truly understand the people that are on the surface level of of the Church of Scientology. It didn't really didn't really touch what the everyday people uh, touch on. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So the everyday people are working off of a book called Dianetics, and they're working on completing what I was talking to you about, the bridge to total freedom. The bridge to total freedom has two halves. The first half is you're reaching the state of clear. Oh, my God. Okay. I actually have to define a lot of terms before we can talk about this. It's okay. So so Scientology is a cult. Um, I like to use the bite model. Uh, as the model to define what a cult is. Uh, basically, the bite model uh, equates to behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. If you're doing these things, like most religious organizations do these things to a certain extent, but there's actually a website created by the guy that made the bite model, Steve Hassan, who I think he was an ex-Jehovah's Witness. He's done the most research into cults of like anybody, like this, the most psychological research. And that one has like a lot of questions that kind of helps you understand like how, how culty is this cult? Like how far gone are we going? Scientology falls pretty heavily into the bite model. Okay. Um, so one of the things that is really interesting about cults in general um, is the use of cult specific words, you know? So uh, in Scientology, there is a lot of Scientologist specific words. And the reason that's done is to isolate people from the people around them. Mm. When you're using these cult specific words, like if I were to like tell you like, hey, I just cleared all my engrams and like it's I'm so excited. I'm going to be going off op- like I'm going to go into the operating Satan levels or something. You're not going to have any idea what I'm talking about. No, none. You yeah. know, or like, oh, I had a great like I, I did a really good auditing session today. And like, you know, like there's there's just like all sorts of shit that is specifically done so that people don't understand it. You know, so some or like Satan. You don't know what a Thetan is. No. Who, who knows what a Thetan is? I know what a Thetan is. But that's because I grew up in fucking Scientology. So the the first word we're going to learn is uh, Thetan, which is comes from the word, the Greek letter Theta, Thetan. It's basically a soul or a spirit. But it, okay. it, he used the word specifically. L. Ron Hubbard used the word specifically because he felt like in christianity when you talk about the soul or the spirit you know it's like you're not the soul or spirit your spirit goes to heaven not you mm-hmm. you are the thetan and a thetan is like fucking i don't know four quadrillion years old or something so you're this endlessly old spirit that is occupying this earthly vehicle currently wow. and the other thing about thetans is they actually exist outside of this universe in the theta universe right which is can't be detected in our universe which is called the messed universe Mest, <laughs> yeah, stands for matter, energy, space, and time. Okay. And so this is this is actually why I wanted to go with the ma- the specific Matthew passage, actually, and why I was saying like I like 
I went like to look at how the Bible maybe describes something, the importance of being materially good, mm. because that's not really important in Scientology. Mm. The messed universe isn't real, really, you know? It's all about the Thetan universe and the Thetan and like doing, you know, becoming like an like, you know, the operating Thetan, which is the next level. So Sure. <laughs> so okay, so we we've just we've talked about Thetan, we've talked about messed. The next thing to know is an engram. An engram is a recorded traumatic memory in what's called your reactive mind. The reactive mind is the mind that reacts to things. You know, it's like there's the reactive mind and the analytical mind. You're trying to function entirely off of the analytical mind the reactive mind turns on when you experience a traumatic event and records it and then whenever you like smell something or taste something that reminds you of that traumatic event unconsciously you're going to act in a shitty way so in early scientology the goal is to get audited which is where people that are auditors that are trained for this job use an e-meter which is a device that I had to do this so many times as a child, like I can't even count. I had to do this so much. Uh, an e-meter is like an electric device. It's two cans attached to like a cable that attaches into this little device that measures the electromagnetic resistance of your body. Okay. And the auditor asks you a set of questions in a very blank way. And you answer those questions and they look at the e-meter and they see how the e-meter reacts and they write down your reaction. And then maybe if you react, if the e-meter goes off a lot at some specific thing, then they might needle you more about that to figure out what's going on. And you do that for every engram you have. Okay. So this is like, uh, this is like partway between a polygraph test and like those, um, those bar games where you like squeeze the thing and it tells you how hot you yeah. are. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. I get what you're saying. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's about as accurate as the things in the bar that you squeeze that tell you how hot you are, too. Um, So you get, you know, you basically get like a hotness lie detector test um, (laughs) that helps people figure out how you're feeling. And then they clear they clear what's called an engram, that traumatic memory. Mm. Once you've cleared all of your engrams, you're at a state called clear. And L. Ron Hubbard claimed all this shit like when you're clear, you have a higher IQ and people like you more and you're a more effective communicator and you're using more of your brain and you're less like to experience physical illness um so there's a lot of benefits to being clear uh mm-hmm. one of my family members was actually considered back in the day natural clear uh which meant that they were born naturally clear of engrams meaning this might have been the very first body you know vehicular body view experience because if, if we know the south park episode you know all of the Thetans roaming around, that became us, basically, you know? Like, that. The, those Thetans are what we are. So we have all the trauma of these past Thetans. So a natural clear person, you can assume, is a Thetan that maybe didn't experience that. Um, and this family member was natural clear. And after being natural clear, they were, like, pretty stoked about it. But they couldn't afford to go into the OT levels, which is the next part of the bridge. The next part of the bridge is called Operating Thetan. And it's basically, like, the whole ad for it. Like, the advertisement is, like... You are learning how to operate your Thetan so mm-hmm. you can heal yourself and you can do your magic Thetan powers and you're going to be like this super powerful. You know, it's literally teaching you how to get the these godlike powers from being a Thetan. But everything in the OT levels is completely confidential to other Scientologists. Okay. So when you're in Scientology up until becoming clear, which I think back when my mom became clear at that time you would probably spend oh you have to pay money for all of these courses i was just gonna ask this there's a financial element to this 
very heavy financial element. Scientology has this belief that anything that is given to you, you should give something equally back of return. Like you shouldn't be like, there needs to be like an equivalent exchange of things, which sounds pretty nice when you think about it. Like, oh, my friend gave me a bottle of wine. I should return that favor because I like my friend and it's important to keep things equal, you know, like shit like that. But in Scientology, they're like, since we're giving you the best shit, you had better be giving us your best bucks. So by the time you hit clear, I think when my mom completed that when she became clear it was probably they put in probably thirty thousand dollars at least to become clear at the very least when you get into the ot levels i mean i know for a fact my my grandfather has put in hundreds of thousands of dollars wow and uh there's like yeah. a there's a connection here kind of to the practice of tithing which is which goes back to the old church of uh, of the Israelites that carries into the um, to the Christian church but it's never made to be uh, uh essential to your like salvation or essential to your um to you know the blessing of of like Jesus's you know sacrifice and 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 you know that the presence of God in your life is not contingent upon uh, uh, the the financial uh, giving that you make to a church, whatever church you belong to. But you're saying that this is essential to what, if you want to go higher up in the church, if you want to learn more and become better, then you must pay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. And that's part of why Scientology has so much power, um, because they attract a lot of rich people. And um, actually, one of the ways that they kind of fuck over poorer people is uh, if you can't afford Scientology, they offer that you join the Sea Org. Uh, I know a lot of people have actually joined the Sea Org uh, intentionally, just from my my like looking into Scientology. A lot of ex-Scientologists are ex-Sea Org members. Um, the Sea Org is basically like, I mean, a lot of people define it as like the clergy, like, like they'd be like, you know, the guys working in the Vatican, but mm. I don't think that that's super accurate. Okay. Um, they're the people that sign their, their themselves over for the next billion lifetimes wow. to Scientology. So you <laughs> sign yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's a really long time. So you sign yourself over for that long and in exchange, you know, you get to work for the church, which is, you know, very desirable. If you really believe in Scientology, you get free food and board. The food sucks and the board sucks. Um, from what I've heard, people are given one uniform and they're never given like another uniform like they'll be in there the sea org for like years and have had like the same shirt and like their shoes will be falling off and shit Um, so uh so it's pretty it's a pretty shitty way to live and you just work Mm -hmm. constantly uh and there's a lot of like uh physical uh abuse among sea org members like if you're if you seem like a little too like you're not doing things quite right, like they'll they'll spray each other down with the hose or beat each other up or like I mean, there's another thing in Scientology. Uh, I know this happens like to everybody in Scientology called sec checking, which is basically where you get um, interviewed by somebody above you and they make you tell them everything that you've ever been guilty about. Oh, wow. Um, so it's kind of similar to confessional and they sometimes sure, actually call sure. it, there's, there's actually confessionals too, I think, but sec checking is when they think you've done something bad and they'll like really needle and harangue you until you like admit guilt over wow. something. Um, and, uh, 
they actually record all of that information and keep it in a file and will blackmail you with it if you try to leave the church as well. Oh so gosh. if you join the church, you have a huge file full of every awful thing you've ever done, and they <sighs> will use that to blackmail you as well. So that's like another thing about it that really sucks. Uh, so that happens in the Sea Org too. They suck check. It's just, it's just like a whole ass nightmare from what I've learned about the Sea Org. I obviously haven't been a part of the Sea Org. I'm very fortunate to not have been part of the Sea Org. I don't have any family members that have joined. But from my understanding of the Sea Org growing up, I always knew it as like, oh, like if you really are devoted to Scientology and you don't have money, you go to Sea Org. And a lot of the Sea Org members that I know of are ex-Narconon members, which oh. Narconon, uh, yeah, nar- it's, it's like Narcotics Anonymous is yeah. a is a drug rehabilitation program that's run by Scientology and they use it kind of to basically recruit drug addicts and then they basically oh, wow. become the slave labor which like sea org is literally like basically being in an indentured servant because when you if you leave scientology if you leave the sea org they hit you with like i think a 20 or 30 thousand dollar bill for all of the money that you owe them for all of the auditing and courses and uh, food and board that you had so there's not only is there like an emotional aspect to leaving Scientology via like blackmail, which is part of like, I think the reason why my mom hasn't completely left too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, you know, if you're part of the Sea Org, you have, there's a financial aspect to it. And when you're in the Sea Org, they pay you at best $50 a week as a stipend <sighs> to buy things. And they sometimes don't even pay you. So there's, um, so there's, uh, an org, a downtown, um, you know, in Portland where I live and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm being open about that because I've mentioned where I've lived before, but, uh, around the, um, around this, this building, there's usually folks, um, sort of walking the block around the building in what kind of look like, uh, the sort of suits that LDS members would wear when they go knock on doors to, uh, to mission to people. Uh, about the Book of Mormon and, and try to teach folks about their faith. Um, would those be Sea Org members that are that are kind of just like they're on the beat, or is that a different kind of position altogether? That um, I mean, there are people that just work at orgs, and there are also Sea Org members that work at orgs too. A lot of Sea Orgs, I actually know. I think most Sea Org members actually stay in like a main area. I forget exactly the name of it. Um, Sorry to any Scientologists listening if I get this wrong. Um, I think that those are probably just workers. Um, I don't think Sea Org members are usually working at like just local orgs too often. I think that they have like their own place they stay in or they go on the free winds or they're at flag or they're stationed like Los Angeles is the other big hub. Um, I don't think those are Sea Org members. Sea Org members wear like a naval uniform. Oh, wow. Okay. That's so, like yeah, another thing. That doesn't yeah. sound like <laughs> And And LRH, L. Ron Hubbard, is the captain of the Sea Org. And currently, uh, I don't think that he's called the captain. Um, David Miscavige is the current person who runs Scientology. And he actually uh, is very unpopular among Scientologists. Like, they won't say outright, but a lot of people don't really like him. He kind of, I mean, if you look at Mormonism, Brigham Young kind of he kind of got the church together and like, is kind of the reason why the church is still around today. David Miscavige is like on the opposite end where he kind of like really fucked shit. Um, there's like this, there's this like Scientology. Fuck. I forget what it's called right now. There's this like a, like association that everybody in Scientology can join. It's like the Scientology something or other association, whatever. And it used to be like you pay, I think 50 bucks and you get a lifetime membership. Mm. And then when David Miscavige entered, he's just like, 
you know, Mr. Moneybags. And he's like, <laughs> hey, we're going to make all these other like memberships where you can pay $2,000 a year. Or you can pay this much money per year, this much money per year. Um, and because of him, they've also taken to uh, doing shit like every year my grandfather goes to flag to, or or on the free winds to do whatever operating Thetan thing he wants to do. And they will lock him in a room and they will force him to call my grandmother or my mom and be like, give me the credit card information. They need $30,000 for me to donate right now so that they have enough money. And, And like it gets to the point where it's like, we want to call the police because they're abusing him. You know, it's serious. Yeah. This guy is really fucked up. Um, he actually has a slew of really severe health issues that he won't go to the doctor for because he believes that he's operating his Thetan and can cure himself. And if he's not curing himself, then he's not operating his Thetan well enough, you know? That's kind of a so, connection to Christian science there a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They're actually, they're very related. They're very related, uh, which is another interesting thing. Um I can talk about that too. I'm sorry. There's it's it's such a vast topic. There's, also, yeah, there really is, and I, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't know that it went this deep. I mean, I'd seen obviously, <laughs> I'd seen the South Park episode, but I knew that that wasn't really it, right? There's there's always yeah. more to it than that, and of course that everything having to do with that sort of phenomenon is so like drenched in, in like irony and and so drenched in. Um, like sarcasm and and nothing can ever be taken seriously that you know you you, can, you don't really get a sense of, of a phenomenon like this without talking to someone that's been in and through uh the whole thing or at least that is known folks that have been in, in and through the whole thing i mean it's, it's yeah. really really fascinating yeah it's pretty it's really gnarly and and part of why i i want to i i'm trying i, I want to be talking about it more actually uh if i can it's just so hard to because you know of my situation Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think a lot of people look at cult numbers who are, you know, like, you know, oh, the Xenu thing, how can anybody believe that that's so fucking crazy? Like, oh, an emir, that's not, you know, like so many people look at Scientology kind of smugly like that. And yeah. A, that's only like, that's only solidifying the belief that Scientologists that believe in Scientology have even further. And it's also negating the, the, the deep isolation and suffering that people experience you know like my mom has multiple times like broken down crying because she doesn't know if her parents love her because in scientology the messed universe isn't considered real and it gets to the point where even people you're married to or friends with or your children it's like well it doesn't matter because you're all we're all thetans and we have like 17 quadrillion years of life before this and this is just a fleeting moment in our entire existence so it doesn't matter you That's, know, um, yeah. That, I mean, uh, you see um, some phenomenons like um, folks being excommunicated, being cut off from their family. Like I mentioned, you see that in the Mormon Church, and you've even seen it in some extreme cases in in cults that have taken sort of the message of Christianity uh, without having to add the Book of Mormon, and have turned it into uh, a cult like that, like we saw with the Branch Davidians in in Waco, Texas. And I know that there are other cases like this. Um, and it's just, I mean, it, it seems like such a um, such a high pressure environment that folks are are always kind of under the gun to go further and push in further, and and it's not by by like a voluntary um, urge to to truly like better oneself uh, in like for example like your your grandfather having these health issues and not going to to try to be to try to be healed of them and rather just saying I'm just going to push further into this because it's all I've ever known. And so for a lot of people, it seems like it's so impossible to get, you know, to pull back out of that and say, 
that um, you know that it's uh, this isn't uh, this isn't right for me anymore. And you know, of course, I've heard stories like uh, there is a um, a musician. Uh, named Cedric Bixler Zavala, who uh, he was the singer for the Mars Volta. And his girlfriend or wife was previously involved with someone from the Church of Scientology. And um, it is um, pretty well understood that as she had left the church or became, I think the phrase that you used was, was it marked or? Declared. What was? Declared. um, That they, they poisoned her dogs um, because of, of what she was doing is speaking out against the church. It's, it, I mean, at the risk of sounding judgmental, because I don't want to sound judgmental in this, uh, it sounds kind of sinister. I mean, it sounds really kind of, um, like a, a way to, um, to, to take people in and hold them captive. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's exactly that. It is extremely sinister. Um, I don't know if you know this, but anonymous actually started as a form of anti-Scientology protest because really? back yeah back in the day back in like the late 90s early 2000s when like when anonymous was a thing I, I don't know if they were necessarily using 4chan but there were anonymous boards that ex-Scientologists would would post on and they would show up to uh different hearings and shit wearing masks so that the Church of Scientology wouldn't be able to recognize them because I mean when I was a kid there were rumors because my mom was kind of hanging in ex-Scientologist groups at this time, but she was kind of like still practicing and still a believer in L. Ron Hubbard's teachings. She no longer is at this point. But when I was a child, I was very much brought up with that and like tone skill and shit. And I'm sorry, there's just so much. It's so easy to get into <laughs> tangent. But uh, but uh, there was actually talks of like, you know, people that were too outspoken that were declared and would continue to shit on Scientology back in the day. Like there were literally rumors that they had like, that they were like dying in accidents. Like a whole bunch of people like died after falling off of their roof doing repairs and shit. Like, and just like no one really spoke about it. And Scientology at that time too, especially like in the eighties and nineties. And I mean, I don't know how true any of this is. This is literally just like the rumors that you kind of hear being like an ex-cult person. And it's like, is this like a Scientology implanted psyop? Is this like a real thing? But that's like the level of fear people had about speaking out against the organization because it's, it's so, it's so deeply fucked. It's so deeply fucked on so many levels, even just as a casual person who's a part of it, you know, like I've had to experience watching my grandfather just decline and decline and decline and refuse to go to the hospital. And, and it's also like, there's always been this weird distance I've had with my family. Like I've never really experienced like true closeness. And I actually have a friend who grew up in, in Clearwater and flag. Um, and they, they are also non-binary and gay and that's part of why they left, but they're, they're no longer speaking to their parents. And they also have the similar issue of just not, ever feeling this kind of closeness. And a lot of people that are from Scientology have a hard time getting to a point where they can be close with other people because it's so, so isolating. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like leaving it, you know, you're afraid of losing like literally the only connections you've ever had. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's, it is, it is quite, it's quite sinister, I think. Uh, And as much as I appreciate the South Park episode for preventing people from joining, I feel like once again, it just doesn't give people an idea of what it's like to be to be in a cult, you know, and and my grandfather, too. He's very educated 
extremely mm-hmm. smart guy. Like I can't go too much into his credentials, but I can say this is like one of the smartest men I've met in my life. And I don't think I'm like necessarily a stupid person, um, <laughs> but you know, he's, he's a really intelligent intellectual kind of guy. And he ended up in Scientology, mm-hmm. you know, really anybody can end up in a cult. It's very dangerous, you know, especially like, I mean, and not to be like too, I'm not trying to be judgmental or like prejudiced or weird, but like a lot of the like new agey stuff and the angel numbers and shit that I'm seeing get really popular is like almost a little frightening to me because there are so many people just from my research that are cult leaders, you know, that are want to be cult leaders that are trying to start their own. Like, you know, there's so many of these people, especially in Los Angeles that really are trying to like, organize in this way and it and a cult isn't so much about like the belief system like i think that any belief system in a cult can actually be good like it can actually be something totally reasonable and fine but it becomes so easy when you are a vulnerable earnest person who wants to practice faith that you believe in in a way that makes sense for you and you're seeking you know some kind of higher truth and there are people out there that are able to take advantage of you you know, it's not, it's not a, maybe they might be able to, they can, you know, yeah. for anybody, there's going to be somebody for anybody that can do that. And that's, that's kind of, I don't know. That's, that's what I care about. And that's, that's, you know, why I'm here ultimately is to kind of like, be like, Hey, Scientology is bad. People are actively harmed. I've been harmed. There's intergenerational trauma from this. I actually just recently realized that I have religious trauma because I always considered religious trauma to be something that happens when you grow up in a fundamentalist religion, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but you know, like, I, I experience a lot of trauma because of the religion of, you know, on my mom's side of the family and on my, my on my dad's side of the family, like, they were Christian scientists. Okay. So, so. <laughs> so I have this really, really fun, super fun uh, combo of uh, of a familial trauma. And I, I feel like a lot of that comes from this root belief in theosophy that rejects theosophy, which is created by Madame Blavatsky in the late 1800s, that rejects the idea of the physical universe mattering. Okay. And so that's, you know, that's like, I guess we're my belief kind of ends up. It's yeah, that, like, that kind of, that dovetails kind of nicely into what the, the Bible uh, verse that we were going to talk about, but yeah. I just wanted to touch on the, you know, the, the, um, the bit about um, religious trauma, which is, um, is present in any faith tradition and, and is um, widespread. Just today, I read yet another article about uh, yet another uh, prominent uh, pastor that excommunicated a woman from uh, his church, uh, for bringing up uh, abuse allegations against her husband, I believe it was, and uh, it wound up, you know, being true. And obviously, that you know, this is finally coming to light after uh, you know years later. And and you can really see how if you get um, if you get so uh, enmeshed in the the business of protecting the people that run your organization or run your church, you can forget completely that the goal of your faith, the goal of your religion or the goal of your church is to be like a loving, uh, a loving, uh, welcoming group of people that, you know, that Christianity is supposedly supposed to be. And, uh, and, and it can really turn people away from trying to, trying to grow as, you know, spiritually in any way. You know, if they if they don't fall into line with the faith that they were raised in, but they were so they were so harmed by their upbringing in in any particular faith, they'll now write off the entire thing and say, "Well, no, I just can't believe in any of it anymore." And I think it's a real shame because I think that 
if you do open your mind up to different possibilities and faith and, and different spiritual you know, options for yourself. You can know yourself better. You can know the world better. You can improve as a person. You can treat people better uh, and make a real material improvement in other people's lives and in this world. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that, that atheists are not ever making any kind of material improvement in the world. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, I know plenty of atheists who are great people, and I myself once called myself an atheist, though I don't anymore, obviously. Um, but it is, it is like, it's just a real shame, not just for, you know, for the, the deep, deep harm that, that, that is done to individuals, but for the damage that I think that it does to our world as a whole, because it can, it can truly, uh, throw our, our whole world into chaos and make it so difficult to, um, to, um, you know, come together as a people. Yeah, I everything you said, I completely agree with. And it's basically kind of like where I have landed in terms of like my kind of the way that I'm, I'm trying to reason out the situation that I've been thrust into. And and I don't know if you're if you're comfortable with this, if you have the time for it, I, I feel like I still want to talk a little bit more about Scientology with you. So if you would um, come back on with me and do an episode, a bonus episode with me in addition to this one uh, for oh. the pa- for the folks on the Patreon so they can hear uh, a little more about this. Um, I, I, it's just fascinating and, and I'm learning all kinds of new things. So thank you so much for opening up about this. I think it's. Um, yeah, I, I would be super down. I mean, this is something that like, I mean, honestly, like religion really fascinates me because Scientology is in a sense kind of a. Uh, it's almost like an atheistic kind of religion, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so I grew up like, I mean, my mom considers herself this too. I grew up very faithless as mm-hmm. a person, very faithless as a person and basically not really feeling any. I've ne- actually up until literally probably the last six months, I never really felt any kind of spiritual connection to things. And so I developed a very like, I guess, like. I don't know, Anunnaki alien lizard type fascination, like very clinical, like, ooh, what do what do these people believe in? How does this work? You know, kind of like interest in it. And then and then through that it became an interest in my own history. And then and then up very recently I I've kind of connected with my own spirituality as a person as well, working on a farm actually and noticing the process of like, when you really look at the process of decomposition, I think it changes you as a person and uh, you do that a lot at a farm. So. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, um, you working, um, on a farm ostensibly with animals and all kinds of them, uh, it, again, I think per- it's, it's perfect to, to bring up this, um, this passage in Matthew 25, uh, it's oftentimes referred to as the sheep and the goats. The um, the header in the ESV is the final judgment, which is a very ESV typical header where, you know, uh, the ESV has a sort of a conservative view of scripture um, and it, it does lean towards um, sort of a predestination and, and, and a very literal interpretation of, uh, of scripture. I don't know why I've connected with it. So it's probably because it was the first Bible I bought that I was like, okay, this is great. And now I read other ones, of course, and I, I, I'll bring a couple of other um, translations in because I think it's important to see the other, um, the other opinions. Um, uh, my friend Josh, who I just did an episode of his podcast, Rethinking Faith, he used the phrase, and I don't know if he came up with this or this is a quote from somebody else, but he said, translation is interpretation. So it's important to remember that in any 
text that we read, especially one that's written in other languages and has been translated through several languages, that we understand that the uh, original message, even if we are to take the original text as the um, unbroken, total and true word of God, you must understand that as we move this through other uh, other iterations and other translations, that we um, we might get a, a message that that can yeah. come off a little bit different. Um, it's uh, it's a fascinating a school of uh, of of, this, of thought of uh, you know different theologies that surround uh, you know passages like this. There's a lot to read into it. So, um, you said you were going to use uh, a King James version, which I don't know that I've ever <laughs> actually had. Or maybe one other um, guest on the show used the King the original King James version for the for the podcast. Yeah. So originally, I was I was reading off of my I own one Bible. It's like a Bible that I got at an estate sale because I realized I didn't own one, and I felt like, come on, I gotta have a Bible, and it's like a nineteen eleven. <laughs> King James Bible. And that's what wow. I first read this on, but I don't have it with me. I was really excited to show you. I wasn't planning on doing this uh, out of my partner's house, actually, but uh, I, I, you know, I am now. And so I don't really have access. I was going to see if I could dig up some of my old Scientology books in case I hadn't thrown them out, too. So I could show you some Scientology. I had some Scientology children's books growing up. Interesting. But, uh, Interesting. But, uh, yeah. So I, I do have the ESV version pulled up right now. Uh, okay. And I, I also I was wondering, is it OK for me? to ask questions because I don't totally understand, you know, like, yeah. like, like how Scientology, I guess, has, you know, its own words. Like for me, when I read this, the first, I mean, I, I can kind of assume, but it says when the son of man, is that Jesus or is that like some other guy who's the son of like mankind? Mm -hmm. That is Jesus. And Jesus okay. is referred to as, um, it, you know, it, it, there are specific phrases. And of course, those phrases have changed over different English translations and obviously throughout different languages. But um, this is a notion, the son of man is this idea that um, it's like the firstborn, that uh, that Jesus was this sort of original man, despite the fact that Jesus is born thousands of years into um, into the history of, you know, the chosen people, uh, that Jesus is like a new Adam. And so like that, uh, you know, Jesus is sort of one uh the perfect man, the the full the full iteration of what it means to be a man. I can see where that might get confusing. You'll also see Jesus referred to as uh, the Lamb of God. Uh, you'll see Jesus referred to in in lots of different metaphors. And so, do not hesitate to ask questions. I will not um, even pretend to be a biblical scholar or uh, or a, a member of the clergy. Although maybe someday that might happen for me, I think that um, I think that I'll do my best to answer them. If I sound really stupid, listeners, forgive me and correct me because that always helps me um, to better to better understand it myself too. So, um, why don't we read? I'm just going to read uh, 31. Uh, through, you know what? I'll just read the whole thing. Is that okay? We'll go through it. It's not yeah. too long. So, um, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I'll stop there because this is actually um, a material detail that I think a lot of people just think, oh, okay, sheep, good, lamb, good, goat, bad evil devil hoofs, you know, whatever. Um, sheep and goats were herded together at this time. 
and in this area. So this is a material detail that Jesus is telling to these people that are listening to him that is, they would understand. They would say, yeah, you, you separate the sheep from the goats. They herd together during the yeah. daytime. They feed together. They, they are almost identical in that way. But um, during the night, the sheep actually are a little more hardy for colder weather. So sheep could be left out, whereas goats needed to be um, under uh, under some sort of protection or, um, you know, in an area where there might be some some um, yeah. some more warmth, basically. Oddly, oddly enough, a, a, like a, about a month or two ago, I, I was actually doing just that. I was separating sheep from goats wow. in my job. <laughs> so I remember when I first read this, I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty real. It's very yeah, difficult to do actually. <laughs> they don't want to be separated. <laughs> I could imagine, you know, yeah. I don't think these sheep or goats wanted to be separated either, but yeah. <laughs> um, so jumping back in at 33 and he will place the sheep on his right and it's always said in the Bible, this is a sort of an aside, it's always said in the Bible that those that are blessed, um, that Jesus will sit at the right hand of the Father, and and those that are blessed will be seated, you know, along with Jesus. And the right is always not just like the right, but like the, the literal physical right. Um, but the goats on the left, back at verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Um, so we can see what the kind of message is generally is um, you got to treat people well. And, and, you know, you don't you never know. Right. This this could be this could be one of God's people. Uh, this could be a chosen person, but it actually goes a little bit deeper than that. It's not just that Jesus might be in one of these people. It's that God's in every single one of us. And and there's this idea, I forgot the term, but this is an old idea um, in, in the Jewish tradition that you must treat, if you are to treat, say, uh, a king with respect, that you treat one of the king's, uh, one of the king's people, someone that's uh, acting as a... Um, acting as like a, a, a messenger of the king or someone that is, um, you know, bringing, bringing news from, you know, this part. You have to treat that same person with that same respect. So, uh, you know, someone's brother-in-law and, and that person sends somebody out to say, you know, to, to visit, then you, you sit that person down at your dinner table and you treat them with the same respect that you would treat that person's brother-in-law that, you know, um, odd example, but, um, it's it's really I think not so much saying that uh, that you know you, you don't have to look out because Jesus might be hidden in one of these homeless people or hidden in a prisoner, but that like um, you never know you know this that we are all here you know like we are all one with that with that energy that God is is inside of us and that's we all deserve that level of respect to me that's a righteous message I mean it's um. I'm talking a lot. 
how did this how did this passage hit you? What did, what did it make you think? <laughs> no, I, I I was really everything you said. I think was re- was really well put and kind of aligns a lot with how I feel. And I actually wanted to bring up. I was listening to your one of your earlier podcast episodes. Uh, I forget the name of the guy you were talking to. I think he wrote a book called like Plurinome or something. The one it was about love. Oh, uh, Pluriform yeah. Love. Yeah, that's Pluriform uh, love. Thomas J. Ord. Amazing yeah. guy. Yeah, it was a, that was a really incredible interview, and I, and it really struck me because that kind of like, so I feel like spiritually where I am as a person, like where where the the faith that I have developed has come from material uh, observation, just like kind of observing the physical world around me and observing my own feelings, and I kind of came to the conclusion that like. Empathy in of itself is like a very sacred thing. And I think that that's really like special, you know, and and it's really like like just the fact that I can look at an animal and understand when it's in pain and when it's happy was was something that I really considered like a gift, especially like working the job that mm. I'm working. I found myself there'd be a lot of times where I'd like have my hands in the soil and like be noticing that the soil is loose because of all of like the bacteria in the soil. I don't know if mm. you knew this, but soil's very alive. Yeah. You know, mm. it's full of life and kind of like noticing the cycle of like birth, decay, death, and then dissolving into micronutrients and then the micronutrients being super alive and giving birth to the plant that we eat, you know, this kind of like cyclical thing and noticing how lucky I am that I get to exist in a way where I can empathize and love things. And I really, I don't know, I really related to, I, I don't know if this is sounding disjointed right now. Um, I, like, I don't know how clearly my message is getting across. Well, I don't know, not message. That sounds really hoity-toity of me. But, you know, my my kind of like my thought process, I'm trying to kind of condense it, but there's obviously a lot happening. But um, mm-hmm. that specific podcast episode where he was mentioning that to love other people is the act of loving God, you know, that in of itself showing care to other people is sacred. Mm. I, and care, like for me, it extends also to like, you know, animals, all of God's creations. I completely agree. I think that that's extremely sacred. And I do agree that like, you know, the way that this text reads to me, and I'm sure a lot of people read it as, you know, like, oh, which one of these homeless people is is one of the chosen people that's going to judge me? Like, I'm sure that's totally how a lot of people read it, given how a lot of, like, you know, like, kind of extreme evangelical Christians, no offense to extreme evangelical Christians, <laughs> but, you know, like, a, the way that a lot of, like, kind of more evangelical conservative Christians, I feel like, read a lot of Jesus's teachings kind of comes from a place of fear mm-hmm. in a sense, in a place of like wanting to ensure their place in heaven instead of being like, no, this is like, to me, this is very clearly like the, the Bible communicating to us that like being kind to people is sacred and you, and it is important for you to take every opportunity you can to be like a helpful and good person. And I think that for me, like 
you know, maybe for a lot of people, because they grow up around Christianity, like they come to this conclusion via the Bible or via these other paths. But for me, it came from just, you know, kind of being around and looking at people and having feelings and being like, I feel nice when people are nice to me. And I feel <laughs> nice when I'm nice to people. And yeah. I think that that's like really important and special. Why would I do anything else? You know, the, um, um, the, the, the splitting of the sheep and the goats, I think in some people's minds too. And this, this, I think comes from this a was, little more this was something that I, I also wanted to ask about because it's like what happens to the goats like what does that mean like what what is this what's the purpose of the splitting I guess because for me as, as like kind of a, a, a non-Christian person who you know like I kind of grew up definitely because of Scientology like they're they're trying to act like they like Christians now but growing up they really didn't you know it's like you know these people like to judge people and separate people involved which is you know totally what Scientology was doing <laughs> but you know I read that and I'm kind of like oh shit there's some there's some judgment going on there's some like like what's happening to the goats man like I, all of this sounds really nice well, what about what about the goats <laughs> what about those goats yeah the um that separation, I think, uh, in a lot of people's minds, in in the mindset of a Christian that lives in in fear of judgment, that that lives their lives like um, as a Christian because they feel as though the only um, the only alternative is is hell. You know, the only alternative is uh, eternity in the lake of fire. Um, in their minds, that that there is that split, and and that's that's um, that's sort of a Calvinist urge to that there is chosen people and not chosen people, and uh, and and I don't really want to get into that. I'm also not, also not smart enough to describe that in a way that's coherent enough. But what <clears throat> the the split here isn't that the goats are the the people who weren't Christian and the sheep were the people who were Christian. Um, the sheep and the goats are both part of the same heard that they are all together with the same shepherd. So you get in the in this split here, not a, a split between um, Christians and non-Christians, but a, a split amongst the people within the family of Christianity that either followed the actual teaching and went with this be kind to other people and love other people and give to those that, that are in need that that went with that loving path or those that that didn't that said in in that that sounded like a sheep but they were actually a goat um what your belief in in the final judgment as esv says is is a different thing and i think uh you know the the end times uh, studies and eschatology and and the 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 study of the um the judgment at the end of our lives is is up for debate. I, I honestly don't even know that I have a coherent idea of what's going to happen when, when and if I stand before God and God, you know, points at me and says, "You did really bad things. You're you're going there. Or you're you're going up here." And I've always kind of considered myself a universalist because I think within each and every one of us is a truly good uh, and and um, and loving soul. <clears throat> I think that we are all capable of good. We are all capable of love, and that. Uh, it is really just the either uh, bad teaching or um, uh, bad experiences and and pain that we've suffered. That's what drives us to do the the things that that pull us away from from doing right by other people, from from treating other people well. To me, um, the uh, 
you brought up the soil living, and I love this because I wanted to, you know, talking about animal, I'm, a, I'm an animal lover. I, I believe that animals have souls. I believe that, you know, in, in paradise, uh, in heaven, wherever I'm going to go, that my dog is going to be right there with me and my cat that passed away years ago. And, and that's just what I think. And you can tell me I'm wrong and I don't really care. But um, yeah, I think that uh, it's this message does not simply extend to humanity, uh, that it extends to the treatment of animals, it extends to the treatment of the world. Uh, if you look at the creation story in Genesis, there is a phrase that's used about the breath of life being put into animals. And that's actually how Jewish people viewed life then um, in the ancient days. They didn't really see a soul independent of your body. Your body was you, and God breathed God's um, energy and life into you. And, and in that same way, God breathed that energy and life into the animals. And so when Jesus says, that to the least of which, what you did to the least of those people, you did to me, I think is also referring to, you know, rescuing animals that are, that are abused and abandoned and, and uh, you know, helping clean up ecological disasters and and treating this creation that we've been given as as a sacred and blessed and, and beautiful thing because it is I mean you can walk around every day and see some evidence of, of how beautiful it is even if you live in a place that's kind of ugly or you live in a place that's kind of <laughs> shitty there's always something beautiful about it and so it's so important to to um, to stop and think about, uh, what your actions might be or how your actions might be affecting um, those people or organisms or environments that are helpless or um, feel hopeless. I mean, it's, um, it's, I mean, I think it's just a, a, an incredibly beautiful message that doesn't even need to necessarily, if you can set aside the concerns of judgment, um, doesn't even necessarily need to be contained within Christianity. I think it's something that anyone could take something away from this passage and go, well, shit, that's, that's a really nice thing to, to, to say. I mean, that's a really good point. We got to be treating people better. That was my little rant. Sorry. Yeah, I <laughs> no, I loved every second of that. And I com I completely agree. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's been it's been really interesting, I guess, since like, you know, I mean, I mean, for me, it really was like looking at soil and like also I think a, a thing that got me thinking more along like i guess quote unquote more spiritual lines i guess i had my own like i don't know re revelation i guess about this was really when like i was looking at the soil and i was thinking about when in order to have like healthy soil when you're when you're farming and i work at like a, a very ecologically friendly biodynamic farm that focuses on no-till actually which is very interesting i didn't know anything about farming before I, I took this job. I knew a lot about animals, but I didn't really know much about like growing vegetables. Um, the amount of different living things that you need in soil for it to do a good job to produce tasty and healthy vegetables is insane. And there's also like, it's important to have certain mushrooms, actually certain fungus growing in there. And I was, I, I remember like, 
I was pulling weeds and and the way that you pull weeds in like this really soft, rich soil is you have to like really stick your hands deep into the ground and like pull them out by the roots and kind of like you get to really feel around and like look at all the bugs and stuff and, and, <laughs> and everything. And and it was a beautiful day too. It was it was gorgeous. And I was thinking about like, I wonder how many different mushroom spores there are in here. And then I was I went on this like mental tangent in my head about like how mushrooms pop out out of the ground, you know, and you see one, but really it's this huge system. It's this big sponge. And I kind of got this idea that a lot of the pain that we feel as individuals comes from being separated from each other when we should be, you know, in the sponge, you know, we're like popping up and flowering a little bit. And then, and then Eventually that mushroom dies and it and it fuels the soil that then helps the sponge, you know, that I mean I know it's not a sponge, it's a I forget the technical term for it right now. I usually would know I'm not a total smarty pants, but you know, when it dies, it, it decays and it feeds the sponge again, you know? And and I I got to thinking like maybe the empathy, the ability that we have to feel empathy doesn't come from you know, it does it come from the fact that like our souls, you know, spiritually, we're like kind of like one thing. I've always been a little more into pantheism than anything else because it's kind of what I'm I'm more familiar with in a sense. But I feel like there's there's some kind of like beauty to this idea that we're all, you know, internally the same stuff, and we all. I completely agree with what you were saying about how we all have like the potential to be kind and we all have God's light in us, you know, and you can, you, mm -hmm. for me, I'm viewing, instead of seeing it as like the metaphor of God's life, I'm seeing it as the metaphor of like the mushroom sponge. you know. Mm. <laughs> and I just felt, I remember pulling these weeds and being like, wow, I'm so happy to be taking part in this process. And since then I've been really focused on like, you know, farming to me is a really, really kind of sacred task in a sense like especially like the the farm i'm working at we like rescue animals and their poop becomes compost that feeds the delicious vegetables <laughs> we grow and they live happy little animal lives and you know we do the best we can to raise them and when they get too old they they pass away you know and they they de decompose and they become part of the soil that then feeds the plants and and so it's like like that to me dying is also a part of the giving and kindness in a sense, you know, it's all kind of like ways. I don't know that, that, that we're, you know, being good dudes to yeah. each other. It's, it's like, a sac, it's a sacrificial thing. I, I love this, this um, metaphor, this image of the mushroom and, and that, that the pain that we suffer in our lives is uh, due to a separation from each other. Cause there's always this, the, um, this notion of of hell, whatever you see it, uh, the way it's described in in the Bible is uh, a separation from God. You're separated from God from eternity, and and there is your eternal doom, or there is your suffering, or whatever that may be. But if we see God in in the world, we see God in every living thing and every creature, then we are suffering, and we are you know apart from one another. We we sin. You know that's that is our eternal doom is not being there with each other and not being present and loving each other and or or sacrificing ourselves for each other. That's that's incredible. I love it. Yeah, and I, and I would go so far as to say too that by loving each other and being kind to each other and doing what we can to like 
help each other and help, you know, the planet and help animals, we're easing some of the pain that we experience from being separated, which, and which, you know, you could also argue, like, if, if we're coming from a more Christian perspective is, you know, once again, like showing love to God, which is, you know, yeah. isn't that kind of like what Christians want to do is like love God and be closer to God. So to right. me, like, exactly. By by being by being closer to each other and by by reducing that separation, you know, where by becoming closer to each other and by 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 overcoming, you know, the the hurdles of pain that of pain that separation brings to us, you know, we're we are getting closer to God and we're we're experiencing something more sacred. And that's kind of like that, that that's what I was trying to communicate earlier. That was kind of the 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 revelation that I had spiritually. And I mean I've always wanted folk felt like being a kind person is important, but like it wasn't until recently that I like really like I, I really measure my actions and I really try to make sure that when I'm doing something like I, I'm really happy to have this job because I feel like I'm able to just even though it's small things I want to be able to be devoting most of my time and effort to like helping other people because it feels like the, the correct thing to do and I feel the best you know when I'm when I'm loving other people and when I'm loving animals and when I'm when I'm taking care when I'm caring for things and when I'm you know taking my place you know, in the, in the cycle. There's a real risk, um, in, I think in any religion, and we see this, um, in, in a real zoomed in way in Scientology, the way you described it and in an isolationist kind of faiths, um, to, uh, withdraw and to only involve ourselves with our community because our community is the, the right one and we do things the right way. And we're the only ones that, that, that matter. Uh, that urge is so misguided because if you cannot exist in this world without knowing that there are other people outside of it, you cannot withdraw completely from the world. So all you're doing by separating yourselves entirely from, from communities that aren't the same as your own is you are harming them by not being able to extend your love to them. And, and you're harming yourself by not being able to accept the love and the help from those communities. And I mean, there's, um, there's just so much to um, there's so much to take away from this that uh, doesn't you know th that doesn't speak to uh, this chosen people versus not chosen people narrative that so many Christians in particular seem to seem to uh, ascribe to. There's so much more to take away from this to say. I is Jesus saying in this parable that uh, that the prisoner that they went and visited that the, that the naked man that they clothed that the the hungry that they fed were necessarily believers that uh, at no point is is Jesus saying that only those people that are Christians are the ones that you should go help. No, it's every single one of those people that's harmed, every single one of those people that's hurt, uh, any any of those people that are hungry. You help any one of them. You do not isolate yourself in a community that that separates the um, the Jewish uh, church at this time was pretty isolationist in their social practices. They they were very caring for their own people, but they did not extend that um, as much outside of of their faith. And and you know the the mission of Jesus not just you know in in expressing messages like this and and telling parables like this to to believers of the Jewish faith at that time, but extending the the gospel to people all over the world in all kinds of cities and all kinds of nationalities and faith traditions speaks to that kind of um, this, this need 
that there that that God felt to express that this is not uh, it's not going to be a hundred thousand of you. I'm sorry, I don't care what Revelation says. It's not just going to be a hundred thousand of you. There's a lot more people out there in the world, and and we need to be open to loving all of them. We need to be open to sacrificing ourselves for all of them. I think it's a I mean it's I think it's a beautiful message. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I completely agree with you, and I I feel like I mean, it's like really interesting because I think that the the isolation people experience from each other is something that's like fueled a lot by, you know, things like larger entities whose goal is to do something other than help other people. You know, I think that a lot of like, I mean, from what I understand about history and Christianity, it seemed like the early, I mean, not to call it a cult, but I mean, I think from, from what I've read, most people call it like the early Christian cult, like, you know, right after Jesus died before, like the, the church was really established, you know, the like period of a couple hundred years or so. Christians were like known for being significantly more chill than the other people that were in the immediate vicinity. That's like from what, from my understanding, that's what I, what I've heard. They were, they were more chill than, than uh, people that were practicing uh, Jews and they were more chill than like, you know, like the, the Roman empire. And, and I've heard that after, I mean, this, this could be completely wrong. So please correct me. And if there's anybody that knows way more than me, because I know like jack shit about this, this is just from what I've learned from my partner who used to be Catholic is an ex Catholic, uh, and has done a lot of research into the, this specific history. They, they said that they found that shit became a lot less, a lot less chill among Christians and a lot of this judgment narrative became more prominent once, you know, it became the Holy Roman Empire, you know, because yeah. now suddenly you're an empire and this is becoming your tool to to help, you know, control people. And this faith has become a way that you gain power. And I think that when that happens, it kind of really twists, you know, the really good message that, that's there. Because I, from my understanding of Jesus, he's always seemed like a really cool guy. I didn't know much about him, but a lot of the treatment that I've experienced and a lot of the judgment, I mean, being an open Scientologist as a child, which like when I was like a kid for many years, people would be like, what's your religion? I'm a Christian. I'd be like, I'm a Scientologist. You know, you get pretty bullied <laughs> yeah. by people and you get a lot of weird questions. So my experience of Christians was always like, wow, these people really want to just hang by themselves and not really talk to me. And I think I went to like a church with my friend once and they like spoke in tongues and I got really pressured to like getting converted and stuff. It was really wild. Um, and there was a lot of like really violent imagery employed and a lot of like, you better be good or you're going to go to hell, kiddo. And I'd be, <laughs> and I was immediately like, Whoa, man, I, I really don't want to, you know, have anything to do with this. This doesn't seem like any fun to me. But the more, the more that I age, the more that I, I really respect, you know, a lot of what Jesus was preaching. Because at the time, that was really revolutionary. And I mm -hmm. think what he was saying was a really important and loving message, you know. And it's just so interesting how, like, and I mean, the same thing happens within cults, too. Like, L. Ron Hubbard, you know, he had, he took a couple of good ideas you know, maybe like, you know, give, give what you give back, you know, maybe it's good to process through your trauma. Like, let's, you know, try and be better. You know, he, he took people's earnest wish to be a better, kinder, more loving person and more in tune with themselves and understand themselves better. He took this, this pure and decent, good-hearted, earnest wish, and he just completely fucking twisted it and used it to take advantage of people. And that's kind of what I see happen a lot 
with religion. It's it's a it's a thing that can happen when I think that there's like a greater institution, you know, at play that's mm. kind of messing with it. And I think that's where we see people seeing this viewing the scripture as like a, a judgment of goats from sheep as in Christians from non-Christians instead of like what I agree I completely agree with your reading of it. I don't know if I'm right. I don't know anything about the Bible. I mean, however much you know, I know I know this verse. I think this is literally the most Bible I've ever read in my life. <laughs> um, so so I think one time I opened up to Revelations because I like asked like my mom. I was like, I've never read the Bible. It's a fun passage. She was like, check out Revelations. And I was like, that's not where to start. No, that's not where to start. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is like the most that I've read earnestly of the Bible. And I think it's a beautiful message. I completely agree with you. And especially hearing the explanation of sheep from goats and like viewing it as like, this is everybody, you know, and the people that God, that Jesus is saying, like, these are the people that are following what I have to say, which is genuinely pretty good, are the people that are being just fucking nice guys. Be a nice fucking dude. It's not hard. <laughs> the, yeah, it seems like such a simple message. You know, this is, um, it just, it brought to mind, you bring up the Holy Roman Empire and, and, and this sort of ties into Scientology becoming this this monolith, this sort of um, empire of, of wealth and money and, and power um, amidst, you know, certain, uh, you know, a certain group of people. Um, in, in, the, uh, in the temptation of Christ in Luke 4, uh, uh, the devil appears to, to Jesus while Jesus is fasting and he's out in the wilderness, he's out in the desert. And the devil says, uh, you know, if, um, if you will, you know, forsake what you've, you know, what the mission that you're on right now, I can give you the entire kingdom. I will give you any, all the power in the world. I'll give you every kingdom and you will, you'll rule over these kingdoms forever. And, and isn't that going to be cool? And Jesus says, no, like, that's not what I'm here to do. Um, my mission is not to be the most powerful, even though that's what the, that's what the Jewish people wanted at the time. They wanted their Messiah to come and kick ass. That's literally what they were hoping for. But uh, Jesus said, you know, very calmly uh, that I'm not here to, to, um, you know, create a new empire. I'm not here to rule like men do. I'm here to be a servant to people. I'm here to be lowly with people. And, and that, the moment that that message gets perverted into, um, you know, well, we're so great and we're so awesome that everybody needs to learn exactly what we have to, you know, what we believe. And, and, uh, you know, if you don't believe it, then, then either you're wrong, you're damned, or we're going to kill you even worse. Uh, that is a complete perversion of the message of Christ, and, it, and it's totally wrong. Oh, and it's a complete perversion of the message. I mean, uh, what you said about uh, L. Ron Hubbard's original ideas in Scientology, it just got completely screwed up. And I think, you know, in that way, it's so easy to take the core of a really, truly good and simple message or a really, truly good, you know, uh, uh, goal, which is to, to become better and heal yourself and, and treat other people well. To, um, to take that and build an empire out of it. And there's Christians even today that are still doing that. I mean, the, 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 wealthiest, uh, the wealthiest megachurch pastor in the South who I've talked about too much on the show, so I'm not even gonna say his name, closed his doors to people that were, that were, um, that were shut out during Hurricane Katrina that needed somewhere to stay. And, uh, and that to me is, is so sick. I mean, it's so wrong and... Um, and it's disheartening because if you do just go to the, the Bible can seem to a lot of people that aren't familiar with it, kind of hokey at times, right? It, it can it can be a little tough to get through. And, and you know, in that way, I'd encourage people obviously to go read like contemporary versions. I didn't bring any, I should have brought more in 
but to, to try to connect with it in whatever way that they can. But the core of the message is so simple. Just what did you say? Be a cool dude. Be yeah, a good be a dude. Nice dude. I mean, <laughs> dude. Be a nice dude, man. I mean, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, I, it, yeah. For real. For absolutely. I, 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 I am a hundred percent with you there. It's, it's, it's really, it's really gnarly. Like how, how twisted you know a lot of people that like well not people but like how i'm trying to figure out my words here i'm sorry i was i was listening so intently that now the speaking part of my brain is like uh, but like just how how perverted the the practice of christianity has become i think among certain people it's not among everybody but i think like at large like a lot of like you know like you were saying like the big mega church pastor pastors and stuff how how messed up it becomes and and how we live in in a system that kind of you know i mean not to get i'm i'm a little i'm a wee bit of a marxist um but the way <laughs> the way that i interpret the way capitalism works i think is a little different from a lot of other people because if you view capitalism as an entity separate of people that is seeking profit and you view people as merely doing what the entity wants. What's the end goal of capitalism profit. So people on wall street and stuff aren't necessarily like even billionaires like Elon Musk and, and uh, you know, fucking Amazon dude, whose name I can't remember right now for some reason, <laughs> that guy, you know, they're not really people that are enforcing capitalism on people. They're merely like holding their ear up to the machine and maybe like tinkering with it a little bit. They're listening to what it wants and they're just following what it wants, you know? And I, yeah. I think that when we're trapped in systems like capitalism and like imperialistic nation states, you know, when that becomes the culture around you and that becomes everything you're consuming, it becomes very easy, you know, to misconstrue the will of that outside entity that is not thinking, you know, it's not it's not like something that is purposefully trying to manipulate you. It's not something with any sort of incentive necessarily other than it's one like make profit. Uh, if you view if you view that is kind of like also being at play culturally when we're looking at these texts that say really good and important stuff. I think that it can kind of makes sense how somebody who is trying their darndest to be a good Christian and follow the Bible in this cultural context, how that can be bastardized. And so mm -hmm. because of that, I can almost kind of like forgive those people in a sense, because it's like, you know, no one's really in control of anything that's happening. It's all like absurd, crazy bullshit. And the best you can do is be a nice dude. But it is really fucking hard to understand what it means to be a nice dude. In a world that that doesn't seem to value that as a as a. A character trait, you know, as in a world that doesn't seem to value that, you know, in any way. Uh, of course, religions that that began as the beautiful sources of love and 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 community get perverted in a, in a society that uh, values wealth over all things. Why would you give of yourself? Why would you want to help other people? Um, it's a going. It's bucking the trend. It's it's literally going against the forces of, of uh, the way our society is structured to say that um, you shouldn't have a lot of money, and and it sure feels good to have a lot of money. I mean, look, I get it. You know, it's it's super. Um, it's uh, it's super comfortable. 
Um, but, uh, you know, where that leaves you in the, in the grand scheme of things, I guess is up to, up to God or up to whatever it is that you think is, uh, watching over the, the existence of, uh, creation and, or, uh, you know, the, uh, the ongoings of creation. So, um, well, I'm, I just love this conversation, Frank. This was uh, this was incredible. Um, will you come back on for the? Is that? Oh, will I, you do I that would love to. Yeah, I had a, awesome. I had a great time. Honestly, this is this is great. Yeah, and I'm totally totally super down um, to answer any more questions about Scientology. I'm so sorry if there were like weird disjointed bits. I think I kind of had some base notes like written down, but like looking at them, it probably would have taken like so fucking long to get through all of them. There's just like so much it's a whole religion <laughs> yeah hang on to those notes because I'll, I'll i'll come with some more pointed questions in general i just kind of wanted to get a, a base sense of you know how this all you know how it all just generally worked but i feel like we can go so much and obviously we can go so much deeper into this and i would love to yeah and um, I, I, I would be super down to talk more about scripture too i think that that was everything you said was really beautiful and i just you know i i, I find that what I kind of figured was going to happen, and, and I'm really glad I jumped on this podcast, too, is that a lot of what I read just in this passage of the Bible aligns with a lot of what I'm already trying to practice and what I already, like, believe in. I don't mm -hmm. know if necessarily I'm going to use, like, the Christian skin for, you know, whatever spiritual practice I have. But, <laughs> but you know, I can, I, I think that it's great, and, it, and it, I'm glad I'm glad to know that there are, like, people out there that are reading this and believe in that, that too. I think that's beautiful. I think that's good. Awesome. <laughs> good <Wonderful>. stuff. <laughs> well, I usually, um, I usually end my episodes with a poem, uh, but before I do that, I'm going do a couple of plugs and I'll let you do some some plugs as well. Um, I just wanted to um, quick uh, plug the the Patreon. If you go to patreon.com backslash transregretsnoopy, uh, you will get uh, bonus episodes twice a, twice a month. You'll get bonus episodes. It's $5 a month. Um, and uh, we do a weekly Bible study and, and we have movie nights and it's just a, a lovely exercise actually starting in... Um, uh, starting in April, beginning April 1st, we'll be, um, I'll be doing a drawing of patrons. Uh, I've got five copies of Ch Thomas J. Ord's book, Pluriform Love, that I'll be giving away to patrons um, uh, based on whoever is there at the beginning of, of April. So in my own capitalist way, I guess I'm feeding into the system, but I really think that Tom's book is, is, is incredible. I think that, um, you can take so much, uh, loving, uh, kindness away from, from his theology. I think he's, he's wonderful. So I would encourage anybody, if you're thinking about signing up for the Patreon, even if you want to just maybe win a free book and then peace out, it's up to you. Uh, but again, that's, uh, starting in April and, um, and yeah, uh, I just, um, uh, Thank you all so much. Uh, what what would you like to plug? Uh, do you have any 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 plugs? Uh, I don't think that I have anything to plug that would give away my identity in any kind of meaningful <laughs> way. So you, you're plugging biodynamic farming. I'm plugging and a, <laughs> uh, what, what's it called? Biodynamic farming. Um, there's a type. Shit, I can't believe I forgot the name of the kind of farming I'm doing. It's basically a uh, carbon capture. Carbon capture farming. Stop no-till. Stop tilling your farms. If you grow <laughs> vegetables, 
don't you dare till that soil. It's really bad. Uh, <laughs> if you listen to this and you're a nice dude, keep being a nice dude and do more nice dude things in a way that's materially good. Stop fucking posting JPEGs of like things to like, I don't know, symbolically show that you care about something. Actually do something <laughs> about it, please. Thank you. Thank you. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here on Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. Be a nice dude. <laughs> so uh, this week's poem is by Galway Kinnell. Uh, it's called St. Francis and the Sow. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely, until it flowers again from within of self-blessing, as St. Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of the sow and told her in words and in touch, blessing of earth on the sow, and the sow began remembering all down her thick length from the earthen snout, all the way through the fodder and slops to the spiritual curl of the tail, from the hard spininess spiked out from the spine, down through the great broken heart to the sheer blue milk and dreaminess spurting and shuddering from the 14 teats into the 14 mouths sucking and blowing beneath them the long perfect loveliness of sour thanks everybody i've got a secret that i'd like you to understand see the book Mystery of life Mystery of life